Welcome to another episode of The Sebastian Show. This week, we're talking to Jeremy Lance, CEO of Famous, his journey as an entrepreneur and building the newest energy drink to the market. Super excited about this one. I am also a minority partner in this company. Very excited about its future. Check it out. I like hope, vision, excitement, promise for the future, and seeing people get really excited about that and building that for themselves. It's so much of the heart of what my work is about is helping people get free. Um, is my, my core values they ultimately operate from is truth, love, freedom, and community. And in that order, to me, truth and love are kind of 1A, 1B. I don't know that you can get to love effectively without truth. Or I would say to the degree you're operating in truth, you're able to operate in love. And then truth and love create freedom, freedom, then those become the components for healthy community. So it's a vision behind why I do what I do and we can continue to expand it. It's really about, and we'll get into this some with, with Famous, but it's about creating solutions instead of just complaining about problems. Right. And that's Isn't that a foreign concept. Yeah. Right? right. And that's so much I love about famous because you, you know, I got really excited about this as I started to do more research and get to know you. And I was, you know, I was on my way literally driving, moving my family up to Washington. And we talked for a couple of hours uh, and connected a few times on that drive. But um, when I started to hear your vision for famous, it was awesome because I, this is literally, this is an arena. And I think you've properly identified there's a huge opportunity in a hole here because there aren't any, until now, energy drinks that I could, in good conscience, say, drink this. I had to, like, always asterisk everything, right? It's like, uh, well, if I was in a pinch and I was in a break glass moment, I'd probably use this one, but not sustainably. Right. Right? And, and, and uh, you know, one of the things I love about it is your product isn't built just on caffeine. No, it's actually one of the one of the minor things yeah. uh, about it, which which is freaking awesome. So we're gonna get there. I want to start though. Um, and I'm so stoked to have you in. So excited to be working with you. I think there's there's just so much excitement and good in the world right now, and there's good people doing good things, right? Good businesses that want to help and and contribute to the world in a positive way. And so I'm excited to have you in here today, so we could talk about that. But I I, I want to. I want to unpack your story and how you got here. And just as you were walking in, I'm hearing things like, fuck, I didn't know that. That's crazy. <laughs> and so uh, did you grew up in California then? No. Uh, first 12 years in Ohio. Well, that's right. Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, just outside of Cleveland in the suburbs. Yeah. And that's how you became a Steelers fan. <laughs> I'm not to my defense. I am a you know, diehard Buckeyes fan. Okay. And so I did keep something from. You grew up in Cleveland, became a Steelers fan as a result because your dad was a Browns fan. I don't blame you if I had to choose between the Browns and the Steelers. I'm going Steelers all day long, too. And for the people who know my feelings about the Steelers, that's saying something. Um, you played football. I did. And you were a, you were a tight end. I was. Um, Receiver in high school, tight end in college. Yep, because you got bigger, right? Well, I was just too slow to play <laughs> receiver in college. So <laughs> like, so, okay, go put some weight on and we'll move you down to tight end because you can catch and jump. So did you play football? Did you play sports all growing up? Yeah, so when I w lived out here in California, um, I ended up, we, we moved out here when I was 12. So junior high, high school. Okay, yep. And going from, we went from Ohio to Lancaster, Palmdale area. 
in some ways that's a hell of a gear change. In other ways, they're not that far different. They're not. Uh, high <laughs> desert up there is an interesting place. Yes, it is. Um, and then we ended up migrating to Thousand Oaks, and that you know much different. Is, yeah, much different. Yeah. Um, and so my path at the time back then was always going to be basketball. I had offers from a lot of schools, uh, local schools here, UC Santa Barbara, Westmont, San Diego State, um, and that was, you know, that was what I was going to do. And then, we, you know, our family ended up moving back to Indiana right before my senior year hmm. of high school, and that's where my dad grew up, and my, you know, my grandma was there, my uncle and aunt and cousins, and so you went from Thousand Oaks to Indiana your senior year. Oh, like that's a hell of a gear change. It was, you know, you know, still my thought process was like, okay, great. Indiana's like, that's the basketball state. Like, yep. This is perfect. Like right. I'll go and I'll get more exposure out there because they take it so serious. And, you know, this is, this is a good thing. You know, my uncle was an assistant uh, coach on the, on the high school that I went to. Um, and it just, you know, everything on paper seemed like, okay, this is this is a good idea. Then you get there and you realize, okay, these these guys have been playing together since they were like in kindergarten. Yep. And here's this brash, cocky California kid that just moved into town that thinks he's going to be be the savior and take them to the promised land. <laughs> that was just my mindset. It's like, okay, yeah, we're gonna win. I was gonna win a state title here, and we'll go over there and we'll win a state title there. Here, it was different because your school is placed in a division based off your size. Yep. Back then, Indiana only had one division. Every high school, no matter how big or small you were, wow. everybody played. You had one basketball champion each year. And that year was, I mean, the talent was crazy. They had Bryce Drew um, that went to Valpo, Valparaiso. He was Mr. Basketball that year. Bonzi Wells that played for Portland. Um, he was a senior there that year. So, yeah, you know, just you know. I so it was a, so it was basketball really your sport? Yeah, interesting. And I uh, I almost didn't play football my senior year because I I was worried about you know possibly getting hurt yep. and messing up my senior season. And but you know I just I could not play. Yep. And so went out and you know thankfully I did and. The, the coach out there and I, the basketball coach, just for whatever reason, just had a, a thing about me and played me very sparingly, um, sat at the bench most of my senior year, which mm -hmm. is, you know, very humbling experience, you yep. know, from being the leader of captain of your team and, you know, scholarship offers as a junior. And then you go on a team that you know you're the best player on the team, but you're not getting playing time. <laughs> Unpacking this, these stories kind of help shape an understanding of the human, right? And so that's a tough, that's a hell of a change to go. And I, I see that you're unpacking in a way. It's like, well, there was, I wasn't against going because I saw the upside, but going from a school where you're the, you're the superstar, your senior year, where you're graduating with friends, you've been there all three years, right? So it was really, when you leave that, right. go into an environment where you're an outsider and you're this West Coast kid coming in thinking you're going to help everybody. And then the coach doesn't even give you playing time. You're like, I'm the best player on this team, and you're not getting playing time. How did you respond to that, honestly? You know, I, I think at first I, I didn't quite know how to. It was, you know, frustrating. You know, my dad was frustrated. My uncle was frustrated. 
And he was the assistant coach. He just didn't have any. He would sit me down and be like, you know, listen, like we want to play you more. You know, you need to learn the system better. You need to do this, this, and this. Um, and at the end of the day, it just it really didn't matter. Um, at the end of the year, I think the the salt in the wound was they give an MVP award out for um, the person that averages the most points, rebounds, and assists um, per minutes played. And I had, I like it was me by like double everybody else. <laughs> and the coach came to tell me that I wasn't getting the award because I didn't play enough minutes to be considered oh for God. it. <laughs> And I, and I was like, well, Weird. whose fault is that? Like, that's Weird. not my fault, right? Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, those guys on that team, they were awesome, um, great players. Um, many of them went on uh, to play in college, and one of them has won, or two of them have won uh, state titles as coaches now. Um, nice. There's just a ton of talent on that team. So I understand me trying to break into that, you know, in these bonds that had been, you know, forged over decades of playing together. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was frustrating. So what lessons did you extrapolate from that, that when you kind of look back, like that really shaped my perception? And those are, those are formidable moments. Those are bringing up. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I think it was okay. Basketball's not an option anymore. If I want to stay out here, um, so you pivoted. college came along and, and started talking to me about football. And I was yep. like, I wasn't really thinking college football. Um, and I was, so I was the athlete that I, I loved to play, hated to practice, but I loved to play. I, Alan Iverson. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not I was, that bad. I was athletically gifted enough to, to do that, but I just never had that, that burning desire to like, be the best that that thing that those guys that just drive themselves to the success on the court or on the field i just you know i never really had that to me mm. i got on i got into college started playing football and it was like a job mm. i was like okay all your classes have to be done by 2 30 because we need to be you know in the weight room by you know 2 33 o'clock and you got weights and you got walkthroughs and you got film and you got all this stuff and it's like like, do I want to? I'm not ready to work a full time job. So, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying I was naturally very talented and I had certain physical attributes and gifts that made me good at the sport. But I, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't want to put in the work to get to the other side of the game where I'm investing the time and effort. I just wanted to go out and play and have fun. Yeah. I, I just didn't have that desire. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, there's guys that have it. And, and then there's guys that don't. And I was just, you know, I was happy to, to do it and I had fun doing it and I was good at it. So, you know, it kind of created that, you know, identity, uh, you know, as the jock in high school. And, um, you know, that's just kind of who I was. And then I think everybody gets to a point in their athletic career where you either hang it up because you were forced to or you, you hang it up because yep. you chose to. Yep. And I came back after my freshman year of of college and i'm like i'm done with indiana like i i don't want to be here all my friends are back in california that's where i did most of my real growing up and so i i worked two jobs all summer got into the fall packed my car up and uh drove myself back to california at 19 
And did you decide to, you're done with college? Did you complete college? So the idea at that time was I was going to come back. I was going to assistant coach with my old high school basketball coach. who was still there. Um, get back into playing shape and then go contact these schools that had been recruiting me when I lived here. And I think in theory that sounded great, but in practicality, you know, these schools, they move on. Yep, quick. You know, they, you're not, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. Yep. You know, what have you been doing the last couple of years? Oh, you went and played football. You haven't been playing basketball. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe go play community college for a year and then we'll take a look at you again. And so I went to the local community college up there, Moore Park College, and the coach was like, you know, yeah, you can play, but, you know, you can't work. You know, you, you have to commit to these practices and this and that. And, you know, I was on my own. You know, I was working two yeah. jobs just to yeah. try to, you know, pay bills, pay my car payment, pay, yep. pay rent. Um, that California life. 19, and, you know, my parents didn't have – you know, the funds to just, you know, write me blank checks so I could yep. just could do whatever. So, you know, I just kind of came to that conclusion after a while, like, okay, you know, this is, this is over and started to kind of map out like, okay, well, what's next? Yep. So, and then you told me what's next for you was to go into criminal justice and, <laughs> and, and become a sheriff. Law enforcement. Law enforcement. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had this crazy idea of becoming a cop yeah. Where did this come from? Because well, getting to know you, and, and, and I've gotten over the last year, I never, out of all the different jobs, like, or careers I thought you could have had previous to this, cop is not on the <laughs> list. Because <laughs> usually the cop mentality stands out. It's a very, like, it, it's just it's easy to pick out people who become cops. Yeah. For the most part. You know, it, I think I was lured to it because I, I got bored real easy. Yeah. And so on the department, you've got, you know, you've got patrol, you've got custody, you've got you know, detectives, detectives. You've got narcotics, you've yep. got, you know, we had helicopter patrol, we had off-road detail, <laughs> we had, I mean, you name it, there was always something like new that if you had the desire, you could just go get certified or, you know, put in Ford and go do. And, and so. What'd your I, dad do? So my dad is a Baptist minister, <laughs> which will which should close the circle loop of <laughs> why I am, how I am. But um, no, I uh, was a preacher's kid growing up, and, and he still, still has a church in Indiana that he's yep. been with for, gosh, 15 years, 16 years now yep. out there. And I'm a third-generation pastor's kid myself. There's, there you go. We have uh, my grandfather and my, my dad have passed away at this point, but the churches they planted are still, still rocking. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different world to grow up in, and um, you grow up under a microscope. You know, everyone you know, keys in on you and your behavior and what you do. And yep. I had a really, you know, rough childhood because I was just, you know, ADHD before that was a thing. And, you know, trying to keep me, you know, under thumb was you know, impossible. And yeah, PKs have it hard. It's not easy. It's not, yeah, it's not the easiest life. A lot of them um, get go crazy. <laughs> I know a lot of them that I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes I, sense. I count like myself it. semi-fortunate. You know, I still, um, you know, like my faith, my family, you know, my work, I still got my, I feel like my priorities set straight and awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's what he did. And so for obvious reasons, that's why they were writing blank checks for me to just yep. gallivant around Southern California. So, yep. you know, I think I tell everybody, you know, when, when you're at a point in your life and 
you know, no one's there. You don't have a, there's no golden parachute, right? There's no backstop. Like it's just you. And there, you know, I can vividly remember days, you know, where I'm working a security job, I'm, I'm managing a pretzel place and then I'm delivering pizzas at night just to try to, you know, make it. And, you know, it's, there's no more humbling feeling that you can have than to have to walk into the bank to withdraw your $7 because you don't have 20 <laughs> to pull out from the ATM machine. Yep. And then you got to go figure out, okay, well, what, how do I feed myself in the next like two or three days with seven yeah. bucks, right? Top ramen. You know, it's how, my do you, how do you go to the grocery store and decide, okay, do I get shampoo or soap, right? I can't. Three in one. Get, so, get the all in one. That's this like is before the three in ones, right? So I just said, well, there was an opportunity. The bottle, you can you can wash your body with shampoo, but it, you can't really wash your hair with soap. That's so true. you go with the ninety cent bottle of Suave and solid, solid choice. Get out of there, right? <laughs> but I think going through that builds something in you. Yep. And I struggle all the time with my kids now. It's like, okay, how how do I instill that into them without making them go through? Right. All of that. Right. Because we always think you always want more for your kids than what you had. And so without projecting your childhood on them. Right. Because correct. We do this unconsciously very often as parents where for reasons that seem in some cases kind of silly, we want them to have our childhood or in some cases the opposite of our childhood. But in doing so, we impose the same kind of environment or experiences that we had on them without Mm -hmm. without even realizing it. No, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, that was, you know, so that was basically my life for two years. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just go home? And, you know, the shorter answer to that is I met my wife. Ah, mm, uh, yes. Was, you know, I think I, I told her like two months in, like, we're going to get married one day. She's like, you're out of your mind, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> I wrote a letter to my mom that i don't know probably two months after i met my wife telling her about her and that this was it this was the one i'm gonna marry this one and and my mom kept that letter all the way until our our wedding and then she brought she brought it out to the wedding and on the way here a bottle of nail polish remover broke open in her bag drenched the letter and wiped out all the ink (laughs) No way. So my mom did her best to regurgitate what it said, but I always tell my wife, and she always says, you know, I just wasn't meant to read that letter. That was meant to stay between yeah. you and your mom. But that was the short answer why I didn't go back. Yep. And I was so gone to see about a girl. Infatuated with her, still am, um, after 23 years of marriage, right? That's awesome. Um, that I was just going to make it work come hell or high water. Yep. And so you know, you work all these crap jobs for crap pay, you know, things start to look good. And law enforcement was consistent, great pensions, overtime. I could do lots of fun things. You get to legally beat people up and <laughs> like, like pay you to do it. Um, and, and so I applied, you know, a, a lot of different places. Back then it was very competitive to get on. Um, I tested ventura county at the ventura county fairgrounds like that it was there's so many people wow that they had to put us there and i mean there's thousands and thousands of people and i think out of i don't know the exact number but i would venture to guess somewhere between eight and ten thousand applicants that actually took the written test 
um, less than 250 oh, yeah. cadets actually yeah. went through the academy and even less than that graduated. Yep. So um, I just was very fortunate. You know, I had a very clean record, obviously, but I was really young. You know, I had a lot of hurdles to, to overcome to get on. And yep. I got passed up for a couple of classes, um, which was probably good. I mean, I was 20 when, you know, I would have been. You were saying 21-year-old sheriff. Good night. Like, wow. yeah, that was, that was a lot of responsibility. That, to me, 21 is still a kid. It was. Yeah. Young and dumb. Thankfully, you know, for my own purposes, uh, they stick you in the jail when you first get out of mm. um, the academy. So I had a, I had, That's probably smart I had for a little handful bit of, of time. reasons. Yeah, so I had a little bit of time to grow up and, yep. and get introduced to and that. Get a lot of exposure world. and see some things. So I got to do custody for a while, and I got to be a bailiff in courts and um, do some you know fun stuff like that before heading out to patrol. And you know, it, it's still the, the the I always get this wrong. It's not the funnest, right? It's the the most fun. Yeah, I like funnest. I also like funner. So yeah, funner. That's just me. But it was the most fun I've ever had <laughs> doing a job. I mean, it, it really was. Uh, there's all the adrenaline rushes of, you know, when you know, crap hits the fan. There's the yep. um, you know, the tediousness or the tediousness of writing reports, and it's it's like this ninety ten rule. Like ninety percent of your time, you're doing nothing. Yep. Other than typing reports, answering calls, but you live for that ten percent. The, the pursuits, the, yeah, the knockdowns. It was crazy. That was the reason why I didn't become an attorney because that early life, that's the route I thought I was going to go. Mm. And then my aunt was a JAG in uh, the Air Force. And um, she was like, before you make that decision, why don't we have a conversation about this and see what it really is about? Mm -hmm. And realizing that most of it drove me up a wall and the redundancy of it, it was like it wasn't the courtroom. It's like you're really living for those moments, but it's all the other work you had to do. And um, I did well on the LSAT, um, but I just, I was happy I didn't go that route. So yeah, you, I didn't so like that part. I didn't like the politics part right. of it either. Yep. I was never, I wasn't never your jam. good at that. I was young and dumb and it's like, okay, well that doesn't make sense. So I asked the question, why are we doing it that way? For those who are listening around the world, Ventura County um, is right above Los Angeles County. Yeah, they so, butt up against each other in Malibu yep. and Simi Valley. Yeah, so that kind of gives you an idea. It can get a little, a little crazy. Um, Twenty one, you did that. I'm going to ask a question here, and you can answer to whatever degree you want. Why not become a Baptist minister? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I've had that question a couple times. You know, I've always been involved in church. Um, yep. You know, I've been an elder. I've you know, you know, led um, small groups and. I just never had that. I, I just don't think I ever had that calling. That was just not me. You know, yep. my dad will sit and he'll study for five straight days of you know preparing this message and just pouring into notes and everything else. That's I awesome. can't think of anything I'd hate more <laughs> than to sit in an office <laughs> pouring over notes and and stuff. That's just. Now me. Now I love to talk. I love to communicate. I yep. have no problem getting in front of people. Weird. And getting everybody all riled up, but that, yeah, I just, I just don't think that was my calling. So, and it, it sounds like, I mean, we haven't talked about this a lot, but it'd be fun to get into a little bit here. It sounds like it's, you never really lost your faith in that process. Although I would bet as we talk about, there's probably a time where at least there was a quickening or a kind of where it became your own. 
but it wasn't really a loss of faith and, and it just wasn't your path. Yeah, it wasn't my path. Um, you know, we, my dad had uh, a couple churches that, um, you know, soured us on or soured me anyway on it a little bit. Yep. You know, churches can be a great refuge. They can be um, a great support for, you know, millions of people. Um, they can also be some of the most vicious places <laughs> yep. that you'll step foot in. And I think, unfortunately, as a, as a pastor's kid, you, you know, you don't just to get, you don't get to just come in and puce it, right? You, you, you see every aspect, you see the front side, you see the back side, and it's the back side. Sometimes and you're directly that, impacted by the backside well, in yeah, a different way, know, especially as a kid. I remember walking in when my dad resigned um, on the spot one night and I went with him and it was very odd. You know, he got up, he said his thing, he resigned, and and then we literally walked out. Um, and, you know, I've seen, obviously, the good the church he's at now. You know, loves, you know, it's been a great church and he's been there a long time now. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't know if it, you know, unintentionally soured me on that calling, but I just don't feel like I, it was like never even a thought, like, you know, that I'm going to go to each other. Do you have any pastor. siblings? I have two younger sisters. Are they in the ministry? No, no, <laughs> no, no. My, um, my older of the two, um, worked for Live Nation for like 20 some odd years. I lived out here on Hollywood Boulevard, um, or worked on Hollywood Boulevard. And then my youngest sister's, uh, <laughs> she's complete a, opposite. a complete opposite. <laughs> and then, my youngest sister's um, a blues musician. She's a singer, and she's cut a bunch of blues wow. albums. And she lives in Indiana. And, yeah. Um, basically, that's she just spends her weeks doing gigs at you know different places and going to festivals and stuff. So, did your dad or either one of your parents ever encourage you or push you or kind of create an expectation that that's the route they wanted for you, or were they very much like, no, you you choose your own path? You know, I I, I think they were. I think they were just supportive of whatever I did. You know, Rad. first, you know, my mom wasn't real thrilled about me moving back to California. Right. That wasn't a very happy time for her. Yeah. She was even less thrilled when I said I'm going to be a cop. Right. I didn't tell her until I was <laughs> already in. Um, Moms love that. Hey, by the way, <laughs> I'm in law enforcement now. I know yeah. you're going to love it. It's going to be good. I'm going to go into the academy. Pray for me. In a little bit. <laughs> what? What are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Um, and so... No, I, I think they were just kind of, they wanted me to be happy. And I think once they That's awesome. once they met my wife and, and kind of got to see my life in California and, you know, things change, obviously, right? I, I went from making hardly any money to now having a stable job, career, yep. pension, um, plenty of, you know, overtime to work. And, you know, sheriffs, you know, law enforcement out here in general, you can pretty lucrative very lucrative yeah. if you just you know can be dangerous as hell but yeah, yeah. i mean there's that part yeah. of it but um you know thankfully I, mean, I did did eight years in my career before i had to medically retire and <laughs> never had to shoot anybody thought i was a couple times but hmm. you know never did and so I, you know I've, i was fortunate i got out yeah i was injured i, I messed my back up it's still you know, there's still days i get out of bed and you know curse the <laughs> the situation a little bit, but, um, you know, they treated me very well. They took very good care of me, you know, in the retirement process. So no complaints, had a great fun eight years, got to do just so many different things. But I think it also built a confidence in me that I didn't necessarily have before. Yeah. I was always cocky. 
I think that's different than confident, hundred percent. Cocky, because I, I could go whoop you on the football field or basketball court, and so that that was just that was my mindset back then. I would describe cocky as in a kind of uninformed optimism. It's not it's not necessarily based on an accurate assessment of the situation, just a optimism about what you think you can do. Where confidence is usually derived from competence. You know what your skill sets are. You know what you can do, and experiences lead you to be confident. Yeah, I, and they probably overlap some. A little bit. Um, I always say there's a fine line between confidence and cocky, right? Yeah. And some people live in that gray area. Some yep. are on one side of the fence or the other. And I think as I got older, I got out of that gray area over to you know the traditional confidence side of things, and and got out of that kind of cocky stage. And I think that was just age coupled with you know you get humbled when all of a sudden you're like you can't do your job anymore and well, you're 29 going now what the hell do i do so i want to pivot through that but I, I, the story is pretty interesting so i'd love for you to tell it to the degree you're comfortable saying it but you i'll kind of just launch with you you said you were chasing um a, a perp through a i don't know an alley or something and you ran into a bar so we we got a call you know uh, there was a, a gentleman wanted for domestic dispute um he was last seen in a specific area plaza mm -hmm. and my partner and i you know, were around the corner and that's just how it came out you know somebody's wanted for a domestic dispute now we didn't know that he had just stabbed his wife we didn't mm -hmm. like all that information hadn't come out yet because officers hadn't really arrived on scene at his house so we see him he sees us he bolts we jump out we go and put pursuit he ducks into a bar jumps across the counter of the bar and grabs the the bartender so i'm coming in and circling around behind and we thought we were going to have to shoot him but was um, your gun drawn oh yeah yeah and then i he, he basically let her go right as like i'm about to to shoot him and now i'm trying to holster grab him my gun yep. hits the bar falls out luckily Fuck. my partner he, he had a yard sale on the way in. So basically, he's running in his radio. Just everything just, everyone flying. So he was behind me by a bit, picking up his stuff. <laughs> Thankfully, because he came in, saw my gun pop on the counter. He grabs it, secures it. He comes around, and we just fought this guy for a while. It was like two, two and a half minutes, which doesn't sound like it's a long time. a long time in a fight. It's a long time when you're yeah. fighting for your life. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I was tired. Sure. And he picked me up, and he threw me through all Jesus. the glass shells, and I dumped him on his head. I thought I thought I killed him once when I picked him up. He wasn't that big of a guy; just was coked out of his mind and just didn't feel pain. And so, two more units got there, and we got him secured, got him out. And as um, one of the deputies put him in the car, he kicked off the car. the The deputy fell over. He stomped on the deputy's head. They tackled him again. Now I'm on top of him. Someone pepper sprayed. It got all over me. So I rolled <laughs> off, threw up all over the uh, <laughs> the sidewalk. And now I'm just sitting there, snots coming out everywhere. Yep. Miserable. Up. They, they finally hogtied him. They got him in the ambulance and took him. But that officer that got kicked in the head, he went to the hospital. I went to the hospital. My partner went to the hospital. And uh, I think, or the doctor thinks that was probably the, the start of you know, my disc problem, Degenerative my situation. And then, you know, like any good cop, you, you know, you, you get manly and you're like, I don't need to be off that long. And you come back after, you know, a few days off and 
and just kind of plow through it. And, mm. and then I think just the grind of having 30 plus pounds of weight around your waist and these cars aren't built for real big guys. Yep. <laughs> and so the in and out just, uh, they think it just caused, you know, deterioration. And finally you know, I put in, you know, for, to go see the doctor for it. And long story short, they do the MRIs like, well, I know why your back hurts. All your discs are blown down here, and it's a low lumbar. Like yeah, L1 all the five. L3, L4, L4, yep. L5, L5, S1, S1, just progressively. Yep. Well, and like, you're you're sitting again, thirty pounds of weight on you. That well, belt is just it was bothering me because my legs you. would just go numb. Yeah, I'd be driving the car and like couldn't feel my legs. It's like put it in park and get out and like stomp around. You know, get yep. the blood flowing again, and that's when I was like, okay, I got to go get this checked out. So. So doctor said, listen, you can, we can try to push for you to go back, but if all these things blow at the same time, because you're fighting with somebody, you're going to basically lay there, hope they don't take your gun and shoot you with it, because you're not going to be able to do much to them. Yeah. And my wife's like, okay, well, what's option two? Because we're not doing that option. Yep. You know, so the other option is, you know, you retire. And then there ended up being a third, which was, you know, to have my spine fused yep. to go have surgery, but they wouldn't guarantee to bring me back like we well, have to get it fused then you have to go past these tests and then if you pass then we'll bring you back it's like so you mean i'm 29 get my spine fused and there's no guarantee, no guarantee. you'll let me i just we just said no so yep we took the retirement round and you know that was just kind of like a whole new chapter because you know my mindset is i'm gonna do this for 30 years i'm gonna retire and have a nice pension and you know sail off into the sunset and that was going to be that. And now, you know, 29, retired. You know, now what? Yep. You know, I don't have traditional schooling, right? I, I'm not, you know, certified to be a CPA or you know, something like that. So, but ended up realizing that I had a really good gift of sales. Mm -hmm. And I think once you, when you, I think you either have the gift of sale or you don't know. People can teach you how to be a better salesperson. But it's very hard to teach somebody to be a salesperson because it's just, just a, it's an essence. I always say. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think I think anyone can learn the the basics of sales that can make them effective to a a certain level. Mm -hmm. But there are people who have a natural gift for communicating that just gives them a superpower when it comes to sales. Not surprisingly, to hear that you grew up as a Baptist minister, right? <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, though, it's like that's being able to convey a message. There's a, there is yeah. a sales aspect to being able to communicate oh, effectively, sure. right? So, I'm not surprised to hear that you found your way into it. It is ironic to hear a cop turn, you know, salesperson. Those to me are not necessarily. Uh, that's a that's a very flexible range of outcomes when it comes to your skill sets, which is pretty cool. So I was always, you know, I didn't recognize it till later on but i was always an entrepreneur at heart mm -hmm. right i didn't know what it was called back then I, my people you know my friends and wife would just say i was restless right so, well what, what were the indications that you're always an entrepreneur i love this this is you know. so when i was on the department i was just bored on my days off yeah because you work 12 hour compressed shifts so you yep. work seven out of every 14 days i mean yep. seven days you're sitting at home going now what, what am i gonna do? do so i went and got my real estate license i do mortgages <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then I was making more money doing mortgages part-time, almost twice as much as I was making working full-time on the department. Yep. You know, fortunately, I mean, this is all in 2003, 4, So five, it was the run-up to 
It was the like run up when to you were printing money. It's yeah. like, yeah. well, you need a loan, a cash out refinance. Yeah. Okay, stated no income, stated assets. Yeah. Okay, Crazy yeah, just fill time. it here. You want a negative amortization loan? Okay, yeah, no problem. We'll, uh, we'll throw you in here and... Do you watch the movie The Big Short? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I'm the guy that was in Florida <laughs> with the jet ski and everything else. Like, I was part of the problem and the cause. Um, it was just a very, it was a very crazy time back then. But I started doing, I started doing, you know, mortgages for the department guys because I didn't need to make hmm. the amount of money off a mortgage that a person doing it as a full time job needed to. So yep. I was like cutting fees in half and taking care of all my guys in the department and man they they came out in droves just like because there's one thing about cops and firemen man we will take advantage of a situation and buy lots of toys when we, when we can yep and it was just cash out refi cash out refi cash out refi home prices just soaring but as i retired in 06 we we're just starting to kind of see the handwriting on the wall a little bit yep yeah, this probably isn't going to last forever <laughs> i don't know if i want to be doing this full time as my only source of, of income and so my my wife's older brother and, and his wife, once again, he was a LA City fireman. So mm -hmm. of course he had a side thing. Um, they had a t-shirt printing business. Good good business, you know, good good customers, good clients, but they didn't really have a sales division. It was just you know word of mouth and a lot of contract work. And so they approached me about you know whether I'd be interested in learning the business and developing a sales department division for them and helping build the business and seemed like, you know, a logical thing at that point. And I knew nothing about printed apparel. I knew nothing about mm. brand management, you know, how to help people, you know, grow their um, IPs or brands. And so I dove in and spent six months just kind of learning the business from scratch. And then I built a briefcase out of metal friend of mine had a metal shop so he built me this big metal briefcase and put a bunch of slides you know t-shirt samples in and business cards and like I literally went down and parked and walked Sunset Boulevard with my briefcase in a business card walked in to the Viper room and the Roxy and the yeah. whiskey and, yeah and I think it was Red Rocks at the time and then Saddle Ranch famous clubs in Hollywood for those who need context that yeah and out of that week I spent down there in Sunset, I started doing work for the Viper Room mm -hmm. and started doing work for Saddle Ranch Chop House. Mm -hmm. Saddle Ranch Chop House became kind of like my first big client, my first big customer. And they had, they just opened on Universal, they had the one in Sunset and they were opening Kansas City. And I just dove into that and I will say my, my, my eventual multi-million dollar book of business, almost 100% of that has a a line that goes from them back to Saddle Ranch Chop House in some way, shape, or form. Because nobody stayed there for long. Like Saddle Ranch was like where where you went to work if you were trying to be discovered, if you're trying to get into acting. Um, but a lot of these managers and stuff that I would work with, they'd leave and they'd go do their own thing in Hollywood or they'd yep. leave and go to the Belvedere or they'd leave and, and every time they would leave and go someplace else, the one constant was me. Yep. Hey, we need to get stuff done over here. Pick up the phone. And now I've got another customer and then another. And that, you know, over the course of a couple of years, landed me um, in Vegas quite a bit. And I was doing like MGM hotel and casino property stuff and Planet Hollywood stuff and just quite a bit over there. Primarily doing what? 
So you built this book of business. So we, would, we would help them like, so I always called it the, the three M's of building your brand. Don't, don't steal that. Yet. Okay. But media marketing and merchandise, okay. right? All those three things um, are necessary if you want to build your brand out in the marketplace. Right. So I started off with branded apparel, but then quickly learned how that affects everything else that you're doing. And so I started helping them not just build branded apparel, but um, build the proper um, retail, you know, outlets inside their venues to make sure that it's being displayed properly, that you got the right incentive program with your staff to help push it because merchandise is the only advertising where people will pay you to advertise your brand for you. Yeah. Yep. They're going to come in give you 20 bucks for a t-shirt that they're going to go out and wear with your brand all over it. Like yep. where else are you going to, to get that? 100%. Right? And so it was teaching people how to make merchandise a you know, five to 10% part of your gross monthly annual revenue at your business, whether it was a bar, club, restaurant, hotel, um, you name it. And, you know, that was a great business. Love that business. I was good at it. Made just a ton of friends that I still have, you know, today, even, you know, almost 20 years later. Now, were you still repping for, it was your brother-in-law? So I was still, you know, I was still like the, the head of sales for their t-shirt business. But yep. it, you know, obviously it grew quickly yep. and eventually I picked up a customer in Vegas through again, you know, saddle ranch person that introduced mm -hmm. me. And, um, there was a company called the Araka group out of New York and they were the largest Broadway merchandise company. Um, still are, I think they produced wicked and Jersey boys, mm -hmm. rock of ages. Like, like they had a, a real string of just like massive hits and they were starting Jersey boys and, uh, magic show in Vegas and they needed somebody out on the West coast to, to help with. And so I got to meet them and it just became a really good, easy fit so much so that six months later they bought my family's entire company from them. Wow. And so I went to work with them. <laughs> I stayed on, on the West coast and, and, uh, handled things out there. So your brother-in-law gets a nice exit. So him and his wife get a decent exit. They stay on for a couple of years okay. um, for transition. And then they, yep. they left after two. I stayed with them for five. So I stayed there, you know, well after they left. Had not, Because you loved what you were doing? I just loved what I was doing. Yeah. And it, you know, it wasn't necessarily a match made in heaven as we you know thought it might be. But, um, you know, it was, it was good. I, it is, you know, I just, I love my customers. I love the people I work with. You know, I love coming down to LA or, you know, going to these events. You were doing just a lot of really cool stuff. You know, I told you, you know, Tito Ortiz, you know, I was mainly mm -hmm. doing all the punishment athletic stuff and a little bit with the UFC. And then started working with K-Swiss and they were the major sponsor for the Ironman triathlon. Yeah. So started doing all the Ironman merchandise and, and those were cool events to go to. Yeah. And then a lot of music merchandise you know live nation i ended up mm -hmm. you know with my sister there she made some intros and we started doing stuff for them and so and then a lot of just you know bars restaurants clubs so coyote ugly saloon and oh yeah Peters and um saddle ranch chop house and um you know clubs inside a hotel and casinos in vegas and and, and whatnot so you know and these some of these became like family you know just like people that you know knew my wife, knew my kids, you know, and I'd go to all these events that they were involved with. And as you're looking back, you're saying, and it's, it's cool to understand these things. It was it really all kind of started with Saddle Ranch. 
But anyway. it was that that was that connection, and it, so much of life when you, it's only you only see it when you look back. So much of life happens like that, where it's like you get this one connection that really kind of opens up a whole world for you if you handle manager right. Which obviously the door was open to you through Saddle Ranch, but it still took well, I, I you kicked, to deliver. I always like to say I kicked the door open. But yeah, they just got tired of me bugging them and gave me an opportunity, and and then it you know it went from there. Larry Pollock, the the, the man who created Saddle Ranch. Um, mm-hmm great guy you know long career in the industry uh, of hospitality and um just was always very good to me gave me you know the opportunity to to stay there and you know even when we separated for a little bit you know that's that's a whole other chapter right you know what, what, what do you do when your customers like well, i want this price and you're like well i'm not doing it at that price and like oh well, we're gonna go somewhere else okay okay go somewhere else yeah. and, and that happened with saddle ranch and they left and Six months later, I get a phone call from Larry. He's like, okay, I understand now there's a value to having you manage this stuff. Yep. It's not quantitative, so to speak, but I, I understand that it's a value, right? Yep. Can you take back over our stuff? And he's like, sure. It's gonna extrinsic value more. versus yeah. intrinsic value. Correct. Yep. And so, you know, as I was, you know, I worked five years with the Rocker Group after they had purchased um, the original company, which was House of Inc., and, you know, just got to the point where we were kind of going in different directions. Um, and kind of the honeymoon was over a little bit with, you yep. know, the, the guys out of New York. And and so I just decided, you know, let's, you know, I'm just going to go on, on my own. I, my, my wife's older brother was, you know, looking to get back into something. And so we're like, well, you've got, you know, all the knowledge of printing and I've got the customer base. So let's, we'll just start a new company and. Uh, so that's what we did, but we didn't want to do it out here in California. We were just kind of, we we're kind of over the Southern California grind. There's just a ton of companies out here. We had had some you know, personal tragedies within the, the personal family. And so we just kind of felt like that was a good time to just kind of clean slate, make a move somewhere else. So we spent a year kind of trying to figure out where to go. It's like we had this company, we had good customers they're all national accounts. It doesn't really matter where we do this stuff at. So after an exhaustive process, we land in Charlotte, North Carolina. Why Charlotte? So I think we were tired of the West Coast. Yeah. Um, we looked at Texas. We looked at Tennessee. We looked at North Carolina. And honestly, North Carolina is just, it's just beautiful. Um, you know, my, my wife's parents were looking to kind of quasi-retire. And Charlotte has a big lake just north of mm-hmm. the city called Lake Norman. And it was kind of like, well, if we go there, then, you know, we'll retire, we'll buy a lake house and we'll come out there with you. And so it just, it kind of just all fell into place. And then, you know, a lot of things had to happen because this was in 2014, so 2013, 2014. The, the, the housing market hadn't really rebounded 100% yet. Yep. So we had houses we had to get sold and out from underneath. We had buildings to, to get sold and get out from underneath. And, you know, a lot of things had to kind of fall into place to make that work. And they just, they did just like one after the next. And it was kind of like, okay, you know, the, the handwriting was pretty clear that this is, this was going to be our next um, stop in life. And so you stayed in printing. So stayed in uh, textile printing. And merchandising. Yep. Moved the company there and immediately picked up NASCAR, you know, because obviously <laughs> that's, 
like literally fanatics called and they're like, Hey, we just picked up NASCAR. You're, we heard you're over here now. And you know, we need somebody local. And the next thing you know, we're doing Daytona 500 merchandise and Talladega and like didn't really skip a else. beat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a lull there when we first got out there to get settled and get everything situated and get the kids, you know, into school, just get the family transplanted. Um, you know, my wife's born and bred Valley girl, like mm-hmm. her whole family was, Born and bred Hell of a gear, gear change. So for me, it wasn't as much. You know, I spent 12 years in Ohio, a couple of years in Indiana. So yep. the adjustment wasn't nearly as difficult for me as it was for them. Yep. And that was, it was a rough two years, you know, up, up, you know, planting your family and going someplace foreign. You know, yep. we didn't just go to Arizona or <laughs> Vegas or Northern <laughs> California, a place we don't <laughs> stand. <laughs> You're not, you're not exaggerating too much to say that there is a there is definitely a difference between the valley and uh, North Carolina. North Carolina, you know, it's I, I think it was the fact that you couldn't like we couldn't just drive back if we wanted to come visit people. Like, yep. you know, people moved to Idaho and we got a plan and stuff, and it's like okay, well, we can just get in the car, drive six seven hours, come back whenever we want. Now it's like okay, well, you got to get on a plane. Yep. You know, anytime you want to come back and visit. And, you know, you go with best intentions. They're like, okay, we'll go. And, you know, anytime we want to come back, we'll just come back, you know, once or twice a year and see people. And and you start off that way. And then once or twice a year becomes once a year. Once a year becomes once every two or three years. Yep. And, and, you know, just the, kind of the natural cycle of that. And how many kids do you guys have? Four. Four? So I had three daughters. Yeah. Um, they are 20, I'm sorry, 19, 16, 14. Yeah. You don't have your hands full at all. No. no it's, and it's, then uh, I was done. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I was more afraid of having four girls than I was <laughs> of not having a boy. I like I just got point. to that point. <laughs> You're like, <right>? listen. <laughs> and so. That's so funny. But my wife wasn't done. And so right before we moved to North Carolina, she got pregnant. And uh, oh, ended up. Just added that to the mix. And she ended up miscarrying, you know, a few weeks mm-hmm. later, um, I think just from all the stress of the movement yep. stuff. And, but then we were kind of like, well, are we done? You know, cause we were kind of excited about this and yep. got to North Carolina and sure enough, you know, three, three months in out there and she got pregnant again. And, you know, obviously, you know, without the stress of the move and everything else. And, and so we had our little boy, you know, I remember being in the doctor's office and he's like, do you want to know what it is? And I'm like, yeah, just yes, just please. tell me it's it's because just get it over with. And my wife's like, no, I don't know yet. And she's like, I don't want like a sixty percent guess here. He goes, how about a ninety? And I'm like, just tell me. Like, I just get the four girl thing over with. And he's like, yeah, it's a boy. I just remember just yes. being in shock. Right? He's like, no, here this little line right here. That's what you look for, and <laughs> it's pretty prominent. And and I just remember leaving, just kind of, you know, just in a fog and a haze of like, this is really mm-hmm. happening and so you know he was a he was a blessing um and we ended up naming him my my wife's younger brother passed away you know part of the family tragedy we had out here and his name was tyson and so we named him mm-hmm. tyson um after her younger brother so it was, it was nice because it allowed i think a lot of family healing because now yeah you know they were getting to say the name you know yeah. often again and yeah, he really has a lot of very similar character traits of yeah. my wife's younger brother. Um, and so it's it's mm. funny how that all works out sometimes. But, but yeah, four kids, and one's off in college, one in high school, one in junior high, one in elementary. <sighs> Two years ago, I had a kindergartner and a senior. That's 
wild. The whole spectrum. <laughs> yes, man. So, so, and then, so you're in textile, and we're getting to it now. <laughs> and what? Where did you pivot into energy drinks, right, or into the beverage space? So, and why did you pivot? I mean, there's some things that seem natural, and I could probably intuit why, but just I'm curious how that transition happened. A buddy of mine, or you know, my closest friend out um, in Charlotte worked for a beverage co-packing facility. And I didn't even know what that was at the time. It was like, oh, well, we make beverages for customers. They send us their cans and we mix their batches and put them in the cans and palletize it and off it goes. And they had just, they were being acquired by a big venture capitalist firm, or private equity firm, I can't remember, but um, they already owned another plant. And so my buddy was kind of an executive there and there was a bunch of executives there. And, you know, the first thing VCs do when they come in is <laughs> they, they trim a lot of fat off the thing. Generally. So, yeah. Generally. And so my buddy got his walking papers, you know, it, you know, amicably they, they gave him a good, um, you know, a good severance to, you know, to transition out. And we're literally just having a beer one day at the bar. And I said, why don't you just go make your own plan? Like, you know how to program all this stuff. You know, he was their uh, CTO, I think, CIO or CTO. And I said, you understand how all this stuff works? I said, I, I imagine you've got connections. He's like, oh, yeah, I know this and this and this. And so, so why don't you just go build your own plant? He's like, well, you know, the money. <laughs> I said, well, how much would it cost to build a plant? He's like, yeah, probably $25 million. I said, okay. I said, well, what if I went and found $25 million? Could we build it? And he's like, yeah. And that was literally back a napkin. That was the start of uh, a side venture that ended up taking a crazy bunch of turns, built out this model, built an entire executive team with a lot of these guys that had gotten their walking papers, put customers under contract, and eventually raised, you know, over $60 million to build this, what ended up being this colossal plant there in the Charlotte area. And I was running, you know, the merchandise company and doing this, you know, at night and on the sides on the weekends. And, and then did you, did you build it from ground zero? Yeah. Just bought land and then built from there. No, we had a building. Okay. Uh, from a time wise, we, we needed to find uh, a place that already existed. That right. We just move into, but it was a blank. It was a 300,000 square foot warehouse open. Yeah. Warehouse building that fit the need and how did you raise 25 million dollars for this what year was this so this was 2019 2020 okay all right um so yeah i thought it was gonna be 25 and it'd have been 60 plus right right just as i got further into this um put some people into the mix that had contacts here and there but i mean i stood in front of 30 35 different financial institutions pitching this pitching this like here's what we got like these customers will come run if we just if you just give us the money to go build this and it's like uh, okay and most of them knew nothing about the beverage industry right and because most beverage co-packing facilities are all private there's not a lot of financial information out there yep so yeah did that for about a year really just constant you know pitch and pitch and pitch and nose and nose and nose and nose but you know Finally found one that said yes. Good one? And a good one. Yep. Yeah. And uh, literally 
was wiring money in the middle of COVID shutdown. Yeah. Like they weren't even Fuck. working from their offices. Yep. <laughs> um, but to their credit, they did and they followed up. And, and then I spent the next couple of years basically building that plant from scratch. I ran it as their CEO for a while. And, um, can you name any of the clients that you guys picked up in your, in your customers? No, I mean, n- no, but they were significant enough that you would all know, you would know all the of their names. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, they were all big world. And did you close them as well? Did you go and get the plant closed? And then well, go we went to pitch? the clients first and well, that's we said, smart. listen, if we build this, are you in, will you commit 10 million cases a year to it? Yeah. Like, so you went and got LOIs from all these guys. We put and, about three hundred and fifty million under contractual. What makes it a lot easier for a company to come in and go? You would think, you but yeah, them? we had that, and I still had people saying no. Huh? Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. So, so that's how you got into the beverage space. You built the plant. We got built these the big plant, customers. Got these big customers. Had a great. I mean, I, I, I don't I try not to take any credit because. I did what I did, but like I couldn't have done it without like just a great executive team, great supporting cast. Yep. Like there were so many people involved in that project that were instrumental in just a lot of different things. I like to just kind of say I was like I was the organizer. Like I you know, took this skill set over here and we added this skill set over here and this one here and here and it was kind of you know, kind of put it all together, right? Um, kind of like an, an orchestrator. Yeah. That- Great generalists are good at that, putting aces in their places and getting the guys that have very specific skill sets in the right place in the bus so that everything runs well. And my focus really was, I, I you know, obviously wanted to do the build out, but I wanted to, to, you know, build a good company culture. And so, you know, every Monday, you know, new hires, I'd go to the facility they were training at and I'd speak to them and do That's Q&As awesome. and, and just welcome them to the company. And we ended up with about, we grew to about 250 employees, so... Not a huge, huge thing, but definitely sizable enough where you know, yeah. I couldn't know everybody's name. But yeah, I, and I loved it. I, I loved walking through the back and and just checking on everybody. And but it was a grind. I, I, I always tell everybody it was you know, three, four years of my family's life just lost. Yeah, and they just knew they they just had to fend for themselves. It was mm. there was nights I never came home. You know, we ran twenty four seven. So when we're you know ramping up. I mean, literally, the other you're sleeping in the office, teams, or not we're sleeping. just like taking turns. Like, okay, you stay here, I'll go grab some sleep, then I'll come relieve you. And it was just a lot of that. And in 2022, you built this I, through COVID. Oh yeah, which is well, that's also an insane. You, that's just a frustrating time to build. It. Yeah, like, to build a business. All of a sudden, they'd come up. They'd be like, "Hey, someone from the um, electrical group came down with COVID, so we had to send that entire team home." Fuck. Okay, now what? Well, we're gonna, they're going to bring another team from another site over to pick up for the next two weeks while those guys quarantine. And yep. So you had to have a lot a, of redundancy in the system because you. Oh can, my gosh, if your was, site goes down, you're you're done. Yeah. Right. You're you, you're dead in the water. Well, on you know on a financing piece that big with the size of equipment that we were putting in, like every day was you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know that. You're not making when you're not operating, right? Yep. And, oh, God. and so you're, <laughs> you're just doing everything that you can and you know, to to get it built. Like get it built, get it turned on, start cash flowing it. Um but yeah, uh, you know, 
in, in 2022, I, you know, just officially separated from day-to-day operations at the plant. You know, I was burnt out. I, I think everybody, I think everybody from that kind of startup team. The launch crew. Yeah, was just, it was such a monumental undertaking. And, and I don't regret it at all. You know, the, the, the things I learned. Experiences, which you learned, for sure. Was just, you know, life-changing. And, um, but I needed, to, I needed to get out and they needed to put new teams in that, you know, because it, at some point it just became kind of managing work that was required to, to run at the plant. Yep. So but you could train big, someone to do that. It wasn't a big sales. Yeah. You didn't need a super expensive executive operating team because we weren't growing it. You know, we weren't, you know, it wasn't sales division and this and that. How long did it take you to get to at capacity or did you? We were at capacity before we opened. <laughs> We were sold out before we broke ground. I mean, it, that's how, but that's what the need was back then, right? And there's still a huge need out in the marketplace, you know, co-packaging. It's just not a business many people have exposure to. Yep. So the plan's still going. It's doing great. And they've got, you know, we've got things in place there, you know. Um, but, you know, I got out of that and was like, okay, you know, I know there's something that I need to be doing. And you start sitting back and go, okay, you know, where are there what do my skill sets lend me to now? And it's yep. like, well, one thing you learn in the beverage industry is nobody in the beverage industry actually owns anything unless you're the manufacturer. So if you're a brand, you own nothing. Like you, you contract package everything. Yep. You're just basically a glorified massive marketing company. You have guys that sit around in offices thinking of, you know, which influencer are they going to connect up with? You know, what sports star are they going to pay? What events are they going to go sponsor? And that's really what a lot of this becomes. And it's just, it's all relationship driven with, you know, buyers and, and distributors and uh, retailers. And so I was like, well, I, I know, you know marketing and media and merchandising and now I know beverages. So, you know, it just seemed like the right fit to start a beverage company. Go figure. Right? <laughs> so I see a I see a theme here. Yeah, there's a model to your madness. Well, it's funny, you know, because I can sit back now and go, okay, you know, over the last almost twenty years, you know, everything I was doing, had I not done it, would not have allowed me to do, you know, what I do today. Yeah, it led you to this point, correct? But you just you couldn't see it at the time because it wasn't part of your thought process. You just yep, you know, but. You know, it's funny how that works. So I wanted to go through this story with you because it, people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And hearing your story can help people understand the math of how you got to where you are now, which I think is in a really exciting space and exciting place. But you're right. I think Steve Jobs gets credit for the quote, but it's, it's a fairly self-evident truth, which is very often it only makes sense when you look back, yeah. right, and see how you got here and how all of those pieces led you to where you're at now. So... You essentially, and you're not saying this, and I'll just infer it, you, uh, you learned the beverage industry by working with all these clients and these big brands, and so you got to begin to understand what it takes to create a beverage brand and what goes in and the ingredients and how to source those ingredients and how to make it work. And in the, in, in the, in the process of doing that, you undoubtedly saw an opportunity where there was a hole in the space where it's like there isn't anybody filling this need Right, as an, I'm assuming, I may be wrong, correct me if I am, but 
you probably got to see firsthand the quality of the ingredients that were going in these drinks, for better or for worse, <laughs> right? And then yeah. seeing, hey, there might be an opportunity here to do something better. Yeah, and I, I think as you look at you know starting any business, right? You know, you you try to de-risk it the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And and for me, you know, it was staying true to my skill set of, you know, my past history and my knowledge base um, and, and stay within the confines of that, right? So I knew I wanted to build a beverage company but didn't quite have all the pieces figured out yet. And so, you know, once again, you know, I called on business partners of mine who were friends and said, you know, hey, I've got this idea, but, you know, what do you think? And it's like, done, we're in, like, Sounds amazing. But at this point, you have a book of business and a history that makes it easier for people to bet on you. I've got that resume now that, like, okay, this this kid makes things. He's a he's a banger. He makes things happen. And so we started really, you know, got with the group and was like, okay, you know, there's no money to be made to go do the same thing somebody else does. Just try to put different lipstick on it and call it your own. Tell Prime that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well. Prime Energy and Hydration—they've—they've done. uh, We'll go into that story later, but anyway. And so we, I, you know, really just started scouring the marketplace. You know, I loved energy drinks. Always been an avid drinker of energy drinks. Um, Had the opportunity to make a lot of energy drinks at at the co-packing facility, and but energy drinks is just a very oversaturated marketplace, and most of them are not good for you. Horrifically bad for you. And so, and, and I'll be real careful here. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of good friends yep, yep. that still run Understood. energy drink companies and own energy drink companies. They, they have all filled a need that was in the marketplace mm-hmm. and they saw the need and they created something for that need and, and, and they've done, you know, and been successful at it in various forms, right? You know, Red Bull created the entire category. Didn't yep. exist. You know, before that, you and I were drinking Jolt Cola. Yep. Throwing Mountain coffee, Dew. Mountain Dew, coffee grind. No dose. Yeah, no dose. Like, it was just this silly, silly concoctions. And then Red Bull came along and and created a, a you know, a, a market segment that didn't exist before that. And they went hard on the so, club scene now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway. Yeah. And then, you know, then the imitators came out, right? Red Line came out. Monster came out. Rockstar came out. And it's like everyone kind of like jumped into the fray. Well, it was such a huge marketplace that there was a lot of room for a lot of people. Right. But then as it started to get saturated, it was like, okay, well, there's not as much money to just create an energy drink. So let's create a performance energy drink. And, you know, bang came on the scene and just like took over, right. 300 milligrams of caffeine and 16 on skin, great flavors. And, you know, bam. Poorly managed though. I think they're bankrupt or, or, Going through a massive restructuring yeah, now, made last night. Jack I heard. Uh, got himself into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, there. I heard that. But then Celsius kind of came out with, you know, we're going to go dietary supplement. We're going to yep. get a negative, you know, net negative calorie drink. And and so the dietary supplement side was born. You know, Monster with their Ultra Series, you know, came out with the sugar free and, you know, and all these different segments became, you know, category kings of. You know, performance energy, dietary supplement energy, sugar-free energy, regular yep. energy. And and that's what I kind of started noticing. Like, man, if you could just create a category that really didn't exist, that's really where the opportunity is. You find your niche. Find your niche. And I saw this. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a 
fitness enthusiasts and had been doing HIIT workouts for the last 10 years. And <laughs> as you're going through this kind of list of drinks, I can remember as they were introduced to the marketplace and kind of faded out as people were looking for their niche. And Celsius right now is really big in the fitness community. That's what you see more than anything. Into their, you know, defense, because they found their niche. They, yeah, they found their niche. Um, it's better for you than, you know, the majority it's one of, of the better options out yep. there. Um, yep. And, and they really, you know, seized on that. And then, you know, Pepsi obviously came on as a partner with them and, and bought a stake and, and put them in their distribution network. And they, you know, grown exponentially you know yeah. they were you know started off as a small little you know company down in Boca Raton and it just done a good job they went public and you know a lot of great people there I mean, yeah a lot of great people there. Yeah. I think it's until now I think it was one of the the ones that I would have tolerated uh, I still don't like a lot of the sugar replacements that people use and I really like the one you choose and I think we'll get into it in a second but that was a big one for me with Celsius that made me still like hesitant to like this isn't something I'm going to drink all the time yeah, well, I mean, and I, I think even as as good as it is for you compared to the others, you know, there's still 200 plus milligrams of caffeine yep. you know, in these 12 ounce sleep, right? <laughs> still a lot. And I, as a coach, performance coach, I try to keep my clients under 300 max for the day. That's your right. entire intake Correct. under 300, ideally closer to 200 if you can help it because then you've got a little bit of room if you need that extra punch for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and most of those, like one or two, if you have two bangs, you're at like what six hundred milligrams? Like that's yep. crazy. And I I know guys that'll pound two or three of those a day, and I'm like, ooh, that is all bad. Yeah, it, it's not a necessarily good situation. Um, so as we're kind of doing our research, started noticing a category that existed in kind of every other beverage segment, mm -hmm. whether it was juice, kombucha, beer, wine, spirits. Um, there was always an ultra premium offering right there's always more expensive but always was made with better ingredients marketed that way um and i was like you know that really doesn't exist in the energy drink segment 100 and my partner's like yeah you're, you're right and we start doing you know some digging i'm like well maybe someone tried it before and it just fell flat and monsters ultra series was kind of an attempt at that correct or am i wrong ultra they're ultra i mean which you know is you know what i used to drink you know they're white and you know their white can and their orange and purple and blues and um it just was sugar-free so got it so not necessarily in premium wasn't necessarily premium just was you know no sugar yep right okay. um gotcha and so we started thinking like well what if we make the first ultra premium energy drink like well what does that look like like what does it look like to be ultra premium because anyone can you know make a can and slap a label says you know ultra premium energy drink but like what truly makes it yeah and so we kind of came up with four things that created the essence of how to make this the world's first ultra premium energy drink you know so give it to us all right so first and foremost whenever you're going to eat or drink something what do you what's the first thing that happens with that thing what what happens before you do any other thing with a piece of food or a drink that you're going to consume? You look at it, mm -hmm. right? It's the first first of our senses that is is starting that process of eventually consuming mm -hmm. that food or that drink, right? So we knew it needed to be aesthetically pleasing. We had to have a, a killer name, had to have killer image, we had to have beautiful graphics, and it couldn't look like anything else that was out there in the market place right so that was 
that that process took a while. I believe you. I, I won't bore you with all the names we had come up with at some point in time, but tease uh, us with a few. Some of the the funnier oh ones are like that gosh. made it to the near the ultra. I think was on the table for a little bit, but then yep. there's brand confusion up the yin yang with that. There's Correct. so many things that can go with ultra. Um, honestly, there's just so many. Um, Trying to think of the ones that we thought were, were semi decent. Anyway, I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. But yep. I'm literally driving home from my partner's house, and he calls me. He goes, "What about famous?" Well, there's a crap ton of stuff called famous. He's like, "No, no, no, no. We'll spell it F A M U S." Mm-hmm. And well, that's it. And. So he quickly goes to our other part. We have a, a media company that's a partner in the business. And he's like, okay, go see what you can find here. And they're like, nope, it's available. Like handles, available, you know, social handles available, sites yep. available, um, you know, no trademark issues. Call the attorney. Hey, you know, do a deep dive here. Everything came back clean. And, and then that was it. That was, was it. like famous, you know, and it made sense like for, if you're going to build the world's first ultra premium energy drink, you give it a name that's going to resonate. Right. And so then it was like, okay, how do we make the, you know, what's the logo going to look like? Right. The, now you get into, you got the name. Now you got to develop all this branding and that's got to make sense. So step one was C. Step one is C, right. Yep. And we're still going through C because yep, we, yep. right now we've got a name, but no logo. Yep. We've got no aesthetics and, and we're sitting in a design room at this whiteboard and, we're spelling it out and I'm like, no, it can't be fancy. Like, you know, that's needs to be simple. Like yep. there's an elegance in simplicity. Yep. Right. If you look at like Louis and, and Gucci and, you know, um, Tiffany and all these premium brands, they're not necessarily overly gaudy. It's not always busy. It's just, just elegance and hundred percent. So we said, let's, so we came up with the block letters. Okay, we, we like that. We like that, but it's missing something. We've got to figure out, like, with, we need to work a diamond in somehow. Like, because that, to me, always just signifies, like. The epitome of elegance. Premium elegance. Yep. I don't even remember who it was, but someone's just sitting there going, you know what, that M, I bet a diamond would slide right into the top of that M. And <laughs> went out and sketched it real quick. And we're just like, I think that'll work. And. Next thing you know, the guys are getting on their computers and they're designing and tweaking and and eventually the the logo that you see now is what came out of that, right? Did you do any split testing with it? Did you in, in, did you keep it all kind of close to your chest? We really you? kept it close to our chest. Yeah. Um, I think whenever you're going to like create a new category in a for sure large for sure. space, yeah, you know, subtlety is your friend, yeah. right? Just you don't want to under see the radar. Coming. Yeah, you don't want big and splashy until you're covered, right? So yep. we wanted to get trademarks and you know yep. everything um, buttoned down from a legal standpoint to, to make sure we were completely covered before we ever you know started discussing this. So a lot of it was just internal from our team and friends, family, you know, others putting you know eyeballs on it, but. So we had the logo, had the name. Now we had to decide, okay, well, what are we putting this in? Yep. Bottle. And you had a lot of experience here because you see a lot, a lot of, of different things get bottled. This was not my first option. Really? 
It was not. Well, that was one of the first things that stood out to me. And for the, I don't know, we'll show you the bottles here probably in a second if you can't see them. But it stood out to me because it the closest thing that that to me is like a high end beer um, or water, but there isn't an energy drink in that category. It doesn't look like that. I don't know any other energy drink that's like that. No. So, so so that wasn't your first. I'd love to hear what was and then how you landed here. So my first was I wanted to do a metal can similar to what Sapporo has done mm-hmm. with their metal cans. Yep. Where it's that Beer. metal tin. Yep. It's hard. It's thick. You can't crush it. Right. I just thought, man, how cool would that be? So I start going down that path like, okay, you know, where am I going to source this? Finally, come to find out Sapporo's can is patented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally found a company I think in Germany that was able to make them, but it was going to be like an 18 month wait list yeah. to get them. They were going to be stupidly expensive and, um, and they couldn't guarantee some certain things. So I was like, okay, I've exa- we've exhausted this path. I was super yep. disappointed and we had other options, including this bottle that were on there, but I just, you know, I was so like tunnel vision on this metal can like, and there isn't anything saying you can't go back to it at some point, right? No, there isn't. Yeah. Um, limited edition flavor. 100%. Runs and yep. 100%. Um, but I like, the, I like that you didn't want to wait 18 months, right? It's like, correct. It there's, like a, okay, there's a risk there's... profile here that gets crazy if you're waiting. Correct. So, so um, Ball, which is the largest aluminum company, I think, in the world, they like, do tons of um, aluminum for aerospace industry and they make cans and I think they got out of the, the glass jarring business, but um, yep. Anyway, that's how I know them. This is, yeah, that's how I knew them growing up. You look up. at the, the jars, the canning jars. So this is their Alumatech bottle and I'd worked with ball um, at my previous, you know, company and um, always thought it was a great bottle um, because it's resealable. Right. And yep. they're just, didn't exist. Which is also unique, place. right? Normally, and you, there is another you, energy drink that's using, it's a smaller 12 ounce bottle. I think it's the, from another, you know, another company. Um, but I think they put all their money into the, the bottle and <laughs> cut back on <laughs> the I actual they, ingredients. I think, and I don't want to, you know, disparage anybody. Yeah. They, you know, they've, they've got a drink. It, I guess, works for them. They've got some exposure and whatever. But we're the only ones in this particular bottle uh, at, at the 16 ounce and we're like, okay, let's, let, let's look and see what this looks like, right? Because the only thing that's ever been put in these bottles really is water or beer. Yep. Um, uh, Coors Light uses them. Miller Light uses them for theirs. Yep. And then a lot of, like, expensive high-end waters, you know, use it for theirs. Yep. And so we, we started dabbling with it and, and got the design specs and started putting stuff together. And like, okay, well, how are we going to put the logo on here? I'm like, it's gotta be all black. Like, yep. And everyone's like, agreed, right? Start with a black base and then we work from there. And just like slowly over, I would say probably three or four months, kind of the the aesthetics of the bottle, including the little diamond on the top, which was just like, you know, again, go back to what makes you ultra premium. I think one of the first things is you don't skip. You don't skip steps. You don't cut corners. Yep. Like think that's the difference between ultra premium companies and regular companies the the ultra premium ones they just they, they don't let anything slide 
right? And down here, you know, it's like, well, is that going to make or break somebody buying it? All right, well, let's cut that out. And so we we really just took our time and, and made sure that from an aesthetic standpoint, the way it looked and felt was as premium as we could get it with the resources that we had, even though I couldn't make my metal bottle. <laughs> and so design, done. Eyes, aesthetics, looks great. Hands, it feels great. It's what? a solid can. There's no give to it. Like it's just 100%. feels more expensive, right? Yep, I would agree. Why did you choose 16 on over 12? So one was, because, one was because of the bottle, okay. um, the 12 right. ounce bottle. They just, you, you'll see them out there periodically. Yep. They just, they don't stand out. Yep. You know, nothing against them, but um, I wanted a 16 ounce because I knew I could drink 16 ounce, no problem. It just, that was my standard. I knew my wife would never drink 16 ounce, but because it's got a resealable top, it allows her to put it back in the fridge and yep. then finish it later that afternoon, the next day. Um, and the other energy drinks just don't afford that. Right? Yep. They're, they're cans. You pop the top, you've got a limited time before that's going to be flat. And those drinks you don't want to drink flat yep. <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Um, so we got all that worked out. In the meantime, we're working on formula, you know, step two. Okay, so the premium aspect are it needs to look and feel premium. Step two is you've got to make it with premium ingredients. So step two. Step two is you got to build it now. Yeah. Right. And so we got with a mixologist who kind of specialized in uh, premium drinks. He'd done a bunch of stuff for Whole Foods. And, yep. And I said, you know, listen, we want to we want to build the most luxurious formula that's ever been built for an energy drink. I want it to be all natural. I want it to taste amazing. And I want it to be full of everything you'd want to drink in a drink. Go. He's like, I gotcha. Because what kind of flavors? And I'm like, well, you know, we probably need to do like an original flavor that's unique to us. Yep. And then we probably need to do like an orange or, or a grape or something like that. It's pretty common. And he goes, how about, what do you think about doing an RTD flavor? Which, you know, RTD ready to drink cocktails. And I'm like, that's interesting. He goes, no one's ever done it in the energy drink space. And so we said, well, let's go for it. Then. I mean, we're doing stuff that's not being done. So yeah, let's take half our flavors, model them after ready to drink cocktails. So we did a margarita and mojito, and then we did more two traditional flavors. Our original flavor, which is you know, doesn't seem traditional to me. It's by far my favorite. And, we'll get there. Yeah, and and then we did an orange, but not just an orange. It's like a blood orange. And, yep. And so he went to work, and we went to work taste testing so many samples that I, I can't even begin to tell you how many there were. There's well over a hundred. And he'd make them, he'd overnight them, we'd pop them up, we'd try them, we'd write our feedback, send the feedback back, and then he'd make more tweaks and changes. And that process went on for a good six months. And so we got to the point where we had the formula. Like, it's like, okay, these are perfect. What were the things that were most important to you? Because one of the things that turned me on, the famous... Uh, one of the things that turned me off was the RTD, right? Because I'm not really a big fan of alcohol. So it was like, you're trying to get into that space that wasn't like, well, I, I don't, if I'm going to drink alcohol, I'm probably going to drink it straight anyway, like a whiskey or a high-end tequila. 
I'm not going to mix it with anything. But then what got me in is I am a self-described biohacker. I'm into optimal performance. And I started looking at the ingredients and I'm like, these are phenomenal. Like, how is this? We're putting this in alcohol? Like, this is this is a whole, this is an ultra high premium uh, ingredient list, right? And so that's Correct. what got me turned on. And how did you come to the ingredients? Because one of the things I like is there's basically five ingredients. And it, within reason, you could read it and about anyone could tell you what those ingredients are, which I don't think I know any energy drink that can say that. I usually have to be a chemist to try to fucking understand what's going into them. Right? And, <laughs> and with famous, I love it because you, you can read it and go, Oh, I, I pretty much know what those ingredients are other than you had some trademark stuff in there. But yeah, I, I think, you know, keeping it natural was, you know, that was a big thing, you know, you can, you know, which isn't easy can, to do. It's not. And sometimes people aren't accustomed to natural flavors, right? We're so in our world, we're so used to artificial flavors that when you keep things natural, sometimes they're like, ah, I don't know what, like, it, you know, and you did a good job. I thought with, well, but there was a lot of back and forth with that. Cause I mean, when you try these flavors now and you, you have this, you know, if you're a big energy drink person and you have this idea that this is just going to be our version of, you know, a monster or a Red Bull or something, yeah, you're very disappointed <laughs> when you drink this. It's a very clean feel. It's nope. it's a clean palate taste. Um, yep. We we didn't want that kind of called a chemical taste, for lack of a better term, yep. right? That artificial synthetic stuff. And we realized quickly on when you take artificial and synthetic ingredients out of a drink and replace it with natural, you know, ingredients and juices, it's a, it's a whole different taste. Um, and, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on the juices. Uh, we use a lot of exotic juices. So again, not cutting corners, right? So the, the most robust citrus fruit in the world is yuzu, yuzu fruit, mm -hmm. but you know, it's grown over, I think in Southeast Asia and Japan, um, anyone's, can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it's it's not easy to grow. It's not easy to get. Uh, it's used a lot in uh, Japanese cooking cuisines, um, but it has a very unique, robust citrus flavor. You know, most people just use citrus flavoring, you know, from flavor houses to, yep. to get that. And and again, it's just we 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 wanted to make sure we're using real limes and real lemons and real yuzu and real orange and real, you know, everything. And you know, we 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 use some natural flavors because it was such a small amount and we needed to get the profile to a certain place. And you can do so much with the natural juice and then you've got to, you know, use some other ingredients, but again, kept everything that, you know, that was the, that was the charge. Keep it all natural. Let's, let's get there in a natural way. Now we did that just because that's what we wanted, right? We, we were going to be a consumer of this product. So why not make it a product that we would love to consume every day? And don't feel bad or guilty about. So part of it was the juice. Part of it was those ingredients that make up the flavor. But then there's all these other things that don't necessarily affect the flavor profile, but are really good for you. L-theanine, yep. which you know most people know. Yeah, it's become quite popular the last couple of years. Mate, another ATP. ATP is like your body's building blocks for energy. Yep, you know, which creatine is popular for that to help yep. with ATP. It, it kind of just naturally charges your system. And then we, you know, certainly did not want to do any type of artificial or synthetic caffeine. So we went with an ingredient called coffee berry mm -hmm. and coffee berry comes from the actual coffee fruit plant. They harvest the beans and then they take the actual plant and extract the oils from them. And that's, you know, how they create the ingredient and it gives you this natural caffeine. And it's amazing the difference on how your body processes a natural caffeine versus an artificial. 100%. And I, I don't have the scientific brain enough to tell you 
why, but I can tell you having crossed over from being a traditional energy drink guy to these, it's a, it's a night and day difference. It, How do you feel? Cleaner is the word I would, you said, and I would agree is the word I would use. And Yerba Mate, Matin is a, a caffeine variant that I enjoyed growing up. I would drink out of traditionally out of a gourd, um, <laughs> the old school Yerba Mate. It's served yeah. in a gourd with a straw, but I love that I played chess growing up. Uh, I still play chess quite a bit and I would drink Yerba Mate when I'd play because I wouldn't get the jitters. Um, and it would, it would, it was a stable, nice, clean, keep my, it was like brain food. Correct. And, uh, evidently the Mayans, I think it was the Mayans, maybe it was the Incas. I'm trying to remember the two groups now. I think it was the Mayans, but during times of famine, they would literally live off of Yerba Mate. It had enough of a nutrient profile that you could live off it over an extended period of time, which was pretty cool. So I loved that you incorporated Yerba Mate. <laughs> Uh, I'm a huge fan. There's not a lot of supplements that I recommend. I do recommend creatine because it has an impact. And essentially, ATP is is it's what you're natural. getting with creatine, but in um, a natural se- in a natural setting. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think you'll see a lot of energy drinks out there, and you know, you'll find some that have L-theanine in there. You'll mm-hmm. find some that have yerba mate. You'll have some that have coffee berry, but no one has all of them. Yeah, and so. Our mixologist, like, man, he, he listened to us to a T, and you know, he goes, well, what do you need to spend? I said, just just build it. We'll worry about cost later. Yeah. Because right? that's what everybody else does. Everyone else goes, okay, I need my ingredient cost to be below X amount of cents per can. Yep. And so what can we play around with to, to make that happen? We went the opposite direction. Just make it. We'll figure out price afterwards. And he held true to his word because when we got the cost breakdown, that's we're like, what each of these bottles <laughs> cost to make? It was, it was staggering, but ultra, ultra premium, but yeah, you know, and, and the, the idea was, I think we live in a day and age where people are willing to spend a little bit more to eat and drink things that are better for them to consume. Yep. Especially, you know, my Gen X era where we're all now in our forties, you know, early fifties and we're starting to really just pay attention to the type of thing. What's going in our body. Cause you have to, yep. right. And we wanted this to be a drink that no one was ever going to feel guilty consuming. One of the things I love about it. I talked about in the beginning is that the caffeine level is relatively low for an energy drink, but it, you don't experience that when you drink it, you don't drink it and go, Oh, I need more caffeine. You're getting a nice, clean, stable energy. Part of that, L-theanine has become a popular stack with caffeine because it helps yep. kind of draw out and stabilize. You don't get the crash, mm-hmm. which is a great addition. But it, I love that you were able to get achieve the energy drink function without having to put 300 milligrams of freaking caffeine in the drink. So you don't have to feel guilty about having one or on a maybe on a, on a hard day you have two. Uh, and I love that the reusable cap allows you, if you're somebody who doesn't need that much or, or you're somewhat sensitive, you can drink half of it or a third of it put it away and come back to it. Um, yeah, we we kind of went with this three drink in one theory, right? So a, a premium drink does typically three things. It, it hydrates, it alleviates, and caffeinates. Very rarely do you get a drink that will do all three. You know, yep. they'll do one or they'll do two of those three, but rarely all three. And Famous is unique in the fact that it really does all three of those things and does them very well, I think. And, the, you know, at the end of the day, the proof is in the consumption, Yep. right? You can on paper, draw it up to go, okay, this should be, this should be good. But until you actually make it till you actually try it, put it through its paces, you just never know. 
at the end of the day, we were extremely pleased with each and each one of our flavors. Um, we were we were pleased with the ingredient list that we utilized for all of them and the benefits of those ingredients in every bottle that someone consumes, right? And that, you know, was, you know, kind of the, the, the second part of being an ultra-premium drink, right, was the actual formula. The, the flavors and the flavor profiles that we did with the cocktails in mind, you know, what we were seeing out there, and then, again, I go back to myself, right, the guinea mm -hmm. pig. I was a Red Bull vodka guy like that. That's mm -hmm. I mean, it was your go-to. 20s, Vegas, like... How very Gen X of you. Yes. <laughs> that's just what you drank. Totally. You went to the clubs, you went to yep. the bars. Vodka Red Bull. Give me Vodka Red Bull, right? That's what, and then by midnight, I'm like wired, you know, I'm not going to bed for three hours. Like, yep. it's just caffeine overload with, you know, and I can understand why companies like Four Loco, when they came out with their highly caffeinated alcohol malt beverage, you know, why that wasn't a great idea, <sighs> right? And it's the Ford reason Loco. to this day still that you don't see Red Bull in a RTD mixed, you know, Red Bull slash alcohol can, right? It's yep. just still very frowned upon. And it's not something anybody, you know, FDA wants you promoting. And so what we've realized is us Gen Xers, we're still, you know, mixed cocktail people. But the millennials, they're not big drinkers. Mm -hmm. But they love mocktails. Mm-hmm. Mocktails are coming on strong. Mocktails at bars. They love yep. to just have something in their hand that looks like they're participating, you know, from um, a social standpoint, but doesn't have any alcohol in it. Yep. And so what we've found is, you know, we don't, you know, we're never going to promote anybody to just go take this and fill it full of booze and, yep. and go have at it. Right. Yep. We, we feel like this is a very more elegant, elevated version of Red Bull and vodka that tastes great. But because of the lower caffeine content, you're getting a just a small dose of caffeine in that cocktail as opposed to other options. But from a mocktail standpoint, you've got a margarita and a mojito already in a bottle. Experience that yep. you and whether you pour it over ice and add some fresh fruit, or whether you drink it out of the bottle, you're still getting that experience. You're still getting that flavor profile, um, but without the alcohol. Yeah, and it's it's been a huge unexpected twist um of how this has been perceived and received in the market which is super smart and i the, the mocktail space is blowing up right now because you're right the younger generations are less interested in buying a 15 dollar alcohol drink and it, it consumption is going down not up in, in certain segments with that which is exciting um and so having great alternative options with great ingredients i think is going to be huge you chose to go with the sugar alcohol i love it that's what erythritol. Yep. So we have erythritol and then we have the agave inulin that yep. contains like monk fruit extract. And mm -hmm. um, again, just keeps your calories down. Keeps your calories down. Um, good fiber but content. But not zero sugar. Not, it's not zero calorie. Uh, no. And then that's what I, so I love that question that comes up, right? Well, you've got calories here and you've got some carbs and you've got some sugars. And it's like, yeah, because you can't make zeros across the board by using all natural ingredients. Yep. There's, when you find bottles that are zeros down the nutritional facts, just channel, know that it's a, there's a reason that they're able to get yeah. to those zeros. Yeah. Right. And those artificial and synthetic ingredients aren't necessarily the, the best for you long-term, right? Not necessarily. They're horrific. Right. I mean, Diet Coke, you look at the back of their nutritional facts panel, there's it's nothing in Diet so bad. Coke. But yeah, it's got taste and oh. flavor, <laughs> right? Yeah. Not to rag on Diet Coke. That's yeah. you know, my guilty pleasure. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we, 
again, there's there's all kinds and there's there's new technology, there's new ingredients coming out on the marketplace all the time. And you know what we're looking forward to as we roll these four flavors out and, and expose famous to the population is what's next, you know, yep. and, and all the, the really neat things we're going to be able to do because we came in and positioned ourselves as an ultra premium brand. Right. And so we're going to be able to afford to really play around with a lot of these ingredients that a lot of other guys really don't play around with ones. because yeah. they're just too expensive. Yep. The reason nobody puts all these ingredients in their cans is it just costs too much. They yep. can't make their margins. They, yep. you know, they're they're not a premium branded company. I, I love Red Bull. I love Monster, Celsius, Rockstar, all these guys. Um, Prime, um, they're all great at what they do, but they're not ultra premium brands at the end of the day, right? They're they're not, you know, they're not going to be, you know, Louis Vuitton, right? Yep. Um, you know, Coach makes good purses, but Coach doesn't sell them. For three thousand dollars, like Louis Vuitton does, doesn't mean that Coach purses crap. It's just Coach, you know, that was the they know who they're going after, right? That was markets. their channel. They went down, and and so for us, we we really wanted to stay in that top tier. One, just because that's what we wanted, right? And and again, you say clean. The funny thing is, we never set out to build this as a a, a viable health drink. Right, it it wasn't part of the conversation. It was like we we got there by default. Right, mm-hmm. we got there because we just didn't compromise with any of the ingredients, and we jammed it full of everything we would want to consume. And kind of by default, we became the cleanest on the market because of that. Yep, it wasn't the mindset though going in, you know, because I didn't want to be another dietary supplement drink. Right, yep. I, I didn't want to be categorized with a lot of those others when when you go ultra premium it allows you to play in those categories without having to own that category which i think is going to be exciting down the road we start talking about mocktails and adding other really cool ingredients that uh, because of the route you decided to go you'll have those options to do and as you're pointing a lot of energy drinks can't even go that route because they won't make with their margins and where they're trying to play in the space they're playing in so well it'd be very hard for some of those people to come in and, and try to build a drink for six or seven bucks. Cause it's, yep. you know, I think just fundamentally it doesn't make sense when you take a, a brand that's kind of your everyday drinker or food or whatever, and, and then try to create an offering that's super expensive in that category. Yeah. Right? You know, like bourbons, you've got your everyday bourbons and then, you know, you've got EH Taylor and you got Pappy and you've got, you know, mm-hmm. high end Michters, right? Like those, those guys aren't playing they know where they're, the they know who their market categories, is. Yep. right? You know, because there's bourbons that you buy that you're not drinking straight. You're right. putting it, you're making old fashions with yep. it and stuff, right? And then you've got bourbons that if you put it in a mixed drink, people would murder you yep. um, for it. So, you know, that's, there, there really is a difference in distinction, but, you know, that's the question we just get asked all the time. You know, what makes you ultra premium? And so, you know, that really is the, the you know, the, the packaging and the, the formula and the flavors, um, those, those three things, you know, really make up, you know, the essence of what it is. And then price, you know, at the end of the day, it becomes kind of that quasi fourth thing that makes us ultra premium because we're not a $3 out the door energy drink. Yep. We can't be right. And nor do we want to be now. That's not meaning that I only want, you know, affluent people to drink this stuff, right? That's, 
I don't think that's what we're saying at all. We You're have still all. in line with a Starbucks drink is how I look at it. Exactly. Right? Like, it's like, that's what people are dropping on a Starbucks drink. I, I don't drink. ever go to Starbucks and get my kids stuff and get out of there for under seven bucks <laughs> no. uh, for a Starbucks drink. Yep. Right? And so six ninety nine for us is our retail price point. And that's right in line with Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks and coffee shops. And but so for a we, way healthier drink. For a way healthier option. Way less sugar. Right? Oh, some of those Dunkin', sh- the Dunkin' Donuts the one Dunkin is like, and, what are we doing Starbucks here? If I don't let my kids get it anymore, yeah, like I, the I amount of sugar is unbelievable. Like, and caffeine, yeah, like some of these big venties, like the caffeine content's so astronomical. I'm just like, what are we doing here? Yeah. So, um, so recap so, the four things again. Let's go through them. So make sure we get this packaging. Yep. You know, number one, uh, how you see it? Simplistic, um, and um, different and unique, right? Then the formula. Do we pass the smell test and we pass the taste test, right? Yep. So when you crack that top off, do you get a good effervescent, you know, smell? Right? Yep. So get to get that smell test. So you've, you've drunk it or drank it, however you want to say that, with your eyes. You've drank it with your hands. You drink it with your nose before the liquids ever hit your lips. Yep. Like your, your mindset's already telling you, okay, this is probably something I'm going to like, right? So, but you can't get to the, the liquid part and have it taste awful, right? Because right. then you, you miss the mark. Yep. So, and there's people out there, oh, it doesn't matter what's in the bottle. Like, and that's right. You know, probably get someone to buy it at least once, you know, just right. from the packaging, but you know, you don't make money off of a one-time purchase, right? right? You need people to bring this in as part of their daily regimen. So then, you know, the formula, um, you know, the, the list of ingredients that we did and then the, the flavor profiles, the, you know, the, they're ready to drink cocktails. And what's funny is even though the orange and the original weren't set out to be cocktail flavors, um, they're just as good as the other two, just in their own unique way. Right. And, uh, and then fourth, obviously is price. You know, when, when you look at a premium offering, um, you know, you, there's an expectation it's going to cost more yep. and for us. You know, it does cost more because it costs more to make yep. you know, at the end of the day. It, I won't go into all the details, but it is significantly higher than, you know, traditional companies. But you get what you pay for. But you get what you pay for. And that was the whole point of this, right? We, we didn't scrimp. We didn't cut corners. Um, we, we didn't go the easy route. This was a 18 month labor of love to, to really get this up built and launched a lot of great people, a lot of great minds, uh, a lot of great partners, uh, a lot of great investors in the business. Um, that you know strategically made a lot of sense to do it the way that we did it i don't you know we don't have a big fancy building we don't have 200 employees running around um we ran this lean and mean because adding all that stuff is just going to add more expense and more cost into getting this made and it already is is fast slow is fast and there'll be a point in a time where you know things will pivot a little bit more into a faster gear but we we had um we had a slow burn rollout, you know, via e-commerce. And now mm-hmm. we're on Amazon. You can find us on Amazon Prime. I think countrywide now we're one or two day delivery. And we're just starting to now reach into those retail, you know, places where you can start getting access to, you know, single bottles. But we didn't want to do that right up front, right? The traditional model is you build a drink and then you go beg these distributors to pick you up and put you everywhere. Yep. And then you spend millions of dollars in big flashy ads and marketing campaigns. And we just, we didn't want to go that route. We want people to come to this brand authentically, right? Because then um, 
then we stay authentic, right? We I love wanna, it. We don't want to sell to anybody. Like, I love it. Once people get exposed to this and they realize what it is, they either like it or they don't, right? And we don't take offense if you don't, and we love you if you do. You know, yeah. you're, you're part of the famous family. I love it. So we're just wrapping this up here today. Where do you see this going? What's your vision for famous going forward? So I think obviously, you know, uh, additional flavors. And um, uh, again, I go back to, you know, we've created a, a, a premium brand, right? So everything that we do um, from this point forward is going to maintain a certain level of expectation for our consumers. Um, you know, we're going to look to grow into retail marketplaces. That makes sense for us to be. Yep. Um, you know, that's one of the things that is very different about us. We, the plan was never just to put it everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we wanted to build exclusively around the brand, you know, you know, we wanted people to come to it naturally and then, and, and go, okay, here's how I get it. You know, then they're paying attention, right? Cause those things are important to them. If this is in every convenience store on every single corner, you know, yes, it's, you know, everyone's got access to it, but then it just becomes oversaturated and we're not really that much different than what everyone else is doing. We're just the more expensive version, yep. you know, resting on the laurels of our formula. So we want to get into retail. We want to gain, you know, give people access to single bottle touch points, but we want to do it at places where it makes sense for you to see things. Right. Um, I, I think there are places that where it makes total sense to have it. And then there's places where it makes no sense to have it. Yep. Um, and so for us, it's just, not being not being snobbish about it we're just trying to just be very you know intentional uh, intentional with the brand correct yeah. And, yeah. and and where and and who represents the brand i love and it and that's you know that's probably you'll see you know what we're going to do over the next probably six to 12 months is just kind of slowly start you know bringing it to market <laughs> along with continuing to blow up online and um, e-com well, I'm excited to be part of the famous team. I think this is an awesome, um, an opportunity and something that I think is a need in the marketplace. And I finally have an energy drink that I can recommend. And so I'm excited to be able to offer it to my listeners and we're going to do more work together on that front. How can people find out more about famous? Uh, where can we find you find the brand? Uh, and then you did mention Amazon prime. Is that the best place to, to get product right now? Yeah. So a couple different ways, uh, you can follow us on our socials. Um, so, uh, at Live Famous, L I B F A M U S. You know, staying with can't the spell theme anything correctly. Um, uh, our website is Famous Energy, um, and, and there's lots of like flavor profiles and ingredient profiles. You can, if you really want to be one of those people that want to dig into the the, the minutia of, of how we built this, um, all that information is there. Um, Amazon's a, a, a finicky girl because <laughs> you, if you type in famous, it's going to autocorrect it to F-A-M-O-U-S. Right. And you got to then pay attention to, did you mean to search for F-A-M-U-S? Yep. And then when you click that, obviously you, it's easy to find, but, um, that will change over time as just more and more people go on the platform and look for it. Um, those just adults. recently got on. Yeah. Right. We've only been on like less than a week, I think. Which is so, exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. And, and Amazon, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, they, they knock Amazon for this and this and this, but let me tell you, they, they do some amazing, amazing things. And, and you can think what you want about the ownership structure, the executive teams, the people that run it, but what they've been able to do culturally just with this world is astounding. Oh, and I agree. So, you know, it's, it's one of those that you're, you're constantly learning. They're constantly learning. They're constantly tweaking, changing. And so, you know, it's, it's, not an easy platform uh, to master, 
but I think that's intentional. And so we're on there. Um, we're doing well. We're, you know, it takes time to just get all their distribution centers stocked with products so that you can be on Prime nationwide. And we finally are. But yeah, that's that's the, the place I'd recommend first is, you know, go to Amazon, buy it, you know, leave us a, a review. <laughs> Please. Um, those help a lot. Um, and then for my listeners, uh, we'll have a link below uh, that they'll get a discount on their their first batch so they can try it for themselves and give us feedback on which flavor they like the most, which I'm excited about as well. Exactly, exactly. And we're, uh, you know, from from the famous family to you, we're excited to have you on board as well. Uh, we're going to do some really amazing things and hope your audience stays tuned because we're going to have some events. We're going to have some parties. Like we are, we are a very awesome. fun brand. Yeah, we are going yeah. to do a, a lot of really cool things and we'll have some, um, things coming up that you know we'll be able to announce pretty soon with some giveaways and some other stuff that we're doing. So uh, we're excited. Yeah, me too. I've, I've been very slow and reticent to get involved with different brands. Um, as I've been approached a lot over the last couple of years. And this is one that I'm really excited about getting to know you. I want to do business with people I know, like, and trust. And I wanted people to hear your story. I absolutely love the brand. I love what you're doing with the energy drink space. And so I'm excited to come on and, and to be part of that. Uh, and I think we're going to do some really cool shit together. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Appreciate coming here. Yeah, you bet.